Well, good morning. As lights are coming back up, uh, over the last three weeks, we have uh, been doing a study on the little letter of Jude. And uh, one of the one of the things that I've noticed that at least since we've Dan and I have had the opportunity to preach through this this book is um, one thing that is the the aspect of alarms of an alarm and maybe last week I talked a little bit about alarms and and this week I'm you're familiar with those aren't you yeah fire alarms yeah when I worked at uh, Madison. Uh, it would go off occasionally, uh, unintentionally. And when the fire alarm would go off uh, in a school, what typically happens? Yeah, they, they, come out, they, they come out the hallway and, okay, quiet, shh, walk, shh, gent, gent, don't run. Oh, you don't need to get excited. It, it's, it's, it's likely not anything serious. But a lot of times what tends to happen is, um, is kind of like this next, this next screen. Fire alarm goes off. Everybody stay seated. There was no fire drill scheduled for today. All right. Now, how many of you have been in a mall or been at a store or been somewhere? You're in a factory or something and the alarm goes off. Menards had it happen oftentimes. Yes, we, and it would go off and off and off and off. And, and you know what people did? They went like this. <laughs> so anyway, here's what I need. Uh, so, uh, and, and there wasn't any fear, okay? No fire, no smoke, no fear. But, you know, alarms are there for a purpose. What are they there for? To warn you, to alarm you. Ergo, Alarm. As we come to the last part of the book of Jude, I want you to be thinking about this aspect of alarms again today. We're going we're gonna to segue from last week to this week and then wrap up the book today. But as we looked at this letter, two weeks ago, Pastor Dan explained about how Jude had spurred his brothers and his sisters in the Lord to, to contend earnestly for the faith. In verse 3, which, again, most of us are familiar with. And his, his desire for us was to focus our fight. It's focusing our fight. Know what the faith is. Know who we are fighting and what we are fighting for. And last week, I shared how Jude painted the, the picture of apostate and, and how you could see their true colors. The artificial, artificiality of these believers that they call themselves, but yet in reality they were false teachers. They weren't real believers. And today we're going to even see clearly, as Jude wraps up this letter with even more warnings, and as he also calls the believers to actively contend. To call, We are called to contend for the faith. If you haven't already opened your Bibles... To Jude, and we're going to be looking at uh, verses 16 through the end of the chapter. Take your Bibles with me, open up one of your apps, or grab a pew Bible in front of you, turn to Revelation, back up a, bu- a book, and you'll be in the letter of Jude. So as you're looking for the, uh, the passage, how many of you could tell me, or raise your hand, if you could tell me over the last three weeks, as Dan and I have shared that you've learned something new from Jude, maybe that you didn't know before. 
Good. That's always my goal. I want you to discover truth. I know Pastor Josh is the same way. Discover new new nuggets of truth within the scriptures. And many times we hear Jude, oh yeah, I, I know that book or I know that song. Um, and but that wrong that's the wrong thing, though. Um, so but as you look at Jude and realize this aspect of apostates. False teachers are out there, and they're not only out there, but as we talked about last week, they're right in the midst among us. And that's the danger, is they come in under the radar, as we've talked about. And Dan and I shared with you how that that it's not so much the world out there that we have to worry so much about. We do, because it's, but it's right there in our face. You can see the difference between what the Word of God says and clearly what the world is telling us. But what we have to be careful of is, though, or are those apostates, those false teachers coming in under the radar. We're going to pick up in verse 16, but remember last week as Jude wrapped up in that that center section as we were studying, that he uses the, the term ungodly four times regarding these men. He says in verse 15, to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have committed in an ungodly way and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against them. So here he comes into verse 16 and he continues by sounding the alarm and describing even more traits from their true character as deceivers. Look at verse 16 with me. We're going to I'm just going to briefly look at these traits. And there are 5 of them here. In fact, let me read. Let me go ahead and just read uh, 16 through 19. I think I've got it all up there, don't I? Yeah, thanks, Rocky. It says, These are grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lusts, and they mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. But you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. How they told you that there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own ungodly lusts. These are sensual persons who cause divisions, not having the Spirit. Let's pray before we delve into the study this morning. Father God, again, as we look at this text, as we look at these traits, as we recognize the danger of the deception of false teachers that can arise so easily among us and so subtly, Father, help us to have our hearts attuned to your word Father, guide us by your spirit. Help us to have our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Father, protect us. Wrap your arms around us. Guard us from apostasy. From falling away, being lured away by deception. Thank you, Father, for this little letter of Jude. Guide us now as we look into your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Jude indicates here in verses 16 through 19 that we need to keep sounding the alarm with more of recognizing these traits. And the first one is a grumbler. It's the same term used in the Old Testament of Israel's murmuring against God. I talked about it last week, how in Exodus 16 they had been taken out of, the, out of Egypt. They had been rescued, delivered out of Egypt, only to go out into the desert to feel like they were going to die. And so when they were given water and manna and quail and, and had what they needed, yet at the same time they grumbled. They wanted to be back in Egypt and have this delicious food that they had and were served, even though they were in slavery. Does it ever feel like it sometimes that 
when God takes us out of something that has enslaved us, that strangely enough, it we enjoyed it back there. And, and so often we go back to enjoying that which enslaved us. Because honestly, the world does make those pleasures and Satan makes those pleasures fun for a season. And it is enjoyable for a season. But those pleasures are going to destroy you. And that in the end, there is no satisfaction. And so the people had lost focus. They had taken their eyes off of the one who had led them out of Egypt in deliverance and destroyed the Egyptians. Not only through the the ten plagues and the death of the firstborn, which they saw clearly, and the Passover that we sang about this morning, Passover me. Then he took them through the Red Sea. I mean, picture that if you can. Walking between walls of water only to get to the other side to say, why did we have to leave Egypt? I liked it there. Are you kidding me? Grumblers. They're a danger in the church. It's something that happens to us. And it's something that we need to be very aware of. Because it can spread like fire. Think about Philippians chapter 2. It's one of those word of life verses that we memorized years ago. Do all things without grumbling and complaining or grumbling and disputing. It's pretty clear. Don't grumble. How about the second one? Jude says these are grumblers and complainers. Now typically if you grumble, you know what the flip side of that coin is? I'm going to complain too. It's kind of that. Yeah, but you hear what he said. Yeah, look at that. Yeah. You know what we like to do when we complain? We like to find fault. In fact, that's literally what the the translation is, is, is those who find fault, to blame. We're good at blame shifting. I'm a counselor. It is so easy, and I'm there too. I look in the mirror, perfect law of liberty, and go, ooh, ooh, I do that too. I, we blame shift. Well, if, if, if he would, well, if, if, if she would, well, if, if my boss would, well, that, we always want to point out to somebody else's fault because what we do is we, when we take our eyes off Jesus, we, we, we look at people and we'll always elevate ourselves higher than people. I will always be better than you if I take my eyes off of Jesus. That's just selfishness. That's pride. That's arrogance. But when I put my eyes on Jesus, I realize, no, my, my, my goal is to be like him. And, and I want to serve. But when I take my eyes off of, of Jesus, I see me first. And I start complaining when I don't get what I want. Because in reality, God isn't providing for me or he's not protecting me. That's really what complaining is all about. We're saying, God, you're not doing what I want. I'm not getting what I want. And so we start to blame God even. Now, none of us would do that, right? I mean, we're none of us. We don't do that. Nod your head. Yes, we do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, don't fool yourselves. In, in reality, that's the deception to begin with. We would never do that. 
And that's the hard thing because, again, it's so subtle. And Jude says, listen, false teachers come in among us. And, and even as they, as they begin to teach, there's a subtle negativity that begins to point at faults. Maybe it's at leadership. Maybe, maybe it's at decision-making. Maybe it's, it's at choices. Maybe it's at you fill in the blank. See how deceptive it is? See how easy it is? It's so easy to begin to start pointing fingers at others. Armchair quarterbacks will always make the Hall of Fame. You know that? Do you realize that? Armchair quarterback. Because I would all, no, wait, man. I would have rolled out there and, oh, yeah, I had it. My wife, she laughs at me because I get, we'll be watching something and I'll be tensing up like, because I'd have juked and, and they wouldn't have touched me. I could outran Herschel Walker and Tony Dorsett, all of them. You don't know how fast I am. <laughs> See how subtle it is. Grumblers and complainers, be careful, folks. Don't assume that those in leadership are perfect, because we're not. But at the same time, pray for us. Pray for God's wisdom and understanding. Pray for Josh and Hannah. Pray for the board. Because it's so easy to point fingers at the board and say, what are you doing? Grumblers, complainers. Jude continues. He says, oh, wait, wait, it gets better. Or should I say worse? These are grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lust. Here these, they're self-satisfying. Now, I've got to tell you, this is a description of an unconverted person. Okay. And, and Jude's going to clarify that here in just a few minutes. And you say, well, how would you know that? You will see in just a few moments as we continue to read that this is someone who has a desire for the sinful self, self-satisfaction. In other, in other words, the God of self. I'm, it's all about me. And, and though I talk about you, it's all about me. And though I, I teach you, it's all about me. And again, that's a danger, a very danger it's the subtle desire today to feel good rather than to feel holy, or to be holy, I should say. And, and if you listen to the ch- out in the churches today, if you listen to the messages of people today, you listen carefully to what they're saying because it's subtle. It's subtle. The feel-good church. No, I don't want to feel good. I want to feel convicted by the work of the Holy Spirit when I'm in sin and living away from what God really wants me to be doing. Be careful. Listen carefully to the words. If you hear any indication of self-satisfaction or the, the, you know, God wants you to, he wants you to be happy. He doesn't want you to suffer. Really? That's not what my Bible tells us. We're going to go through suffering. It's a rough world out there. And the way that we go through suffering will also display how I am growing in Christ or I got work to do. It's not a bed of roses. If anybody told you that becoming a follower of Christ was going to be great and it's easy, oh, it is great, but it isn't easy. Because you're facing the world now. You're facing the mindset of philosophy of outside these doors, they want to destroy you. They don't care about you. Because the prince of the power of the air is the one who rules this. 
And God's sovereign over all of this, over this world that we live in. However, the prince of the power of the air is powerful. And God has given him his reign for a period of time. So be aware. Be aware of those that are looking at the self-satisfaction, walking according to their own lust, the desires of the heart. James goes on and he says, not only that, and they mouth great swelling words. They're arrogant too. So these are grumblers, complainers, self-satisfying individuals that are very arrogant. Literally, they, they don't have any humility. Or it's very, again, it's not evident. It's always about me. Or here, let me tell you what I think. You know, one of the most dangerous places to be is in leadership. Leadership is difficult because we are called to step up, to make decisions. And anybody knows that one of the difficulties and one of the, 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 the dangerous places to go is to be put in a, in a position of leadership. Because you could make it and my, and, or me and my agenda what I want, what I think. That's why it is so important that you pray for your pastors and you pray for your, your board. You pray for your leaders, your, your small group leaders, your 110 leaders. You pray for your, the ladies' Bible studies, the men's Bible study leaders. Because we need to make sure that we are focused on Christ in an attitude of servitude. We have to have our hearts in touch with Christ so that we are serving him clearly for his glory and not for ours. Otherwise, we will mouth great and flattering words, boisterous messages with no substance. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 18 Peter compares or has a comparison of this same text. For when they speak great swelling words of emptiness, they allure through the lusts of the flesh. Isn't that what we just talked about? They walk according to their own lusts. Through lewdness, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. In other words, we need to be aware of what these people are teaching and what the subtleties are that are coming in because they will tell you what you want to hear. MacArthur says... These men deceive the weak, in other words, the immature in the faith, with high-sounding words that masquerade as scholarship or profound spiritual insight and even as direct revelation from God. I've been hearing more and more people say, well, I got this from God. Really? Let me tell you something. He's already given me everything I need. I don't need any new revelation. Because we have everything that we need right here. So the question is, is do I know the difference? When somebody tells me they heard it from God or they, they felt that God was guiding them in this. Okay, let's line it up through the lens of scripture. Make sure that this is the lens that we look at life through. No matter what it is. They're grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lusts. They mouth great swelling words. And the fifth one is they flatter people. Flattering people to gain advantage. In other words, as I've already mentioned, telling people what they want to hear. Turn back with me, if you would, keep your finger in Jude, and turn back to 2 Timothy. 
2 Timothy. Timothy was a young pastor that was, uh, that was dealing with some of this, this apostasy, people that were coming in, heretics. I'm going to start at verse 1. Paul's writing to Timothy, this young pastor, and he encourages him by in verse 1 of chapter 4. He says, I charge you therefore before God, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Preach the word. Could he be any more clear? Be ready. In season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. He said, Timothy, be patient with these folks. Be gentle. But teach them, exhort them, rebuke them. Convince them. Because here's the reason why. Look at verse 3. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires. Sound familiar? It's what you just said. People walking according to their own lusts, according to their own desires. What I want, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. They're going to pile them on. Bring on those teachers that tell me what I want. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to, be, to fables. But you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of evangelists, fulfill your ministry. Jude tells the, the believers here to be aware of these type, this type of people. They're going to make you feel good. They're going to want you to make to just like, oh, wasn't that nice? Folks, I, I honestly, and I know Josh feels the same way, and I know Dan does too. You know, we're not here to make you feel good on Sunday morning. That's not my goal. That's not my goal. When I study the Word of God, it convicts me. It's like, oh, man, do I have a long ways to go. There's times I come home and I tell on that. Oh, listen to this. Uh, this word here. Uh, you know what it means? Do you know what it really means? It's just killing me because, like, man, I'm struggling. I, I, I got to work on that. And it's not just, like I say, not just so that you come on Sunday mornings and feel good and you go home and you have a nice afternoon and you go through the rest of the week. No, the word of God, and as Jude is telling us, be aware that everything that we get taught, everything that, that Josh and Dan and I preach to you, and that you're taught through Bible studies, is to change your life. It's not to make you feel good. It's not a fix to get till you get to heaven. I just need another one. Just get me there, Jesus. No, it should be life. It should affect the way that you live in your relationship to your wife, in relationship to your husband, to your children, to your, your employees or your employer, to the person you run into or that cuts you off in the parking lot at Walmart. Yeah, all of a sudden, then I see where my sanctification is. I'm getting better at it though, aren't I? Yeah, she's nodding. She's nodding. Yeah, all right, all right. Thank you, Jesus, because there are some days that I, yeah, we'll let it at that. So, folks, like I say, Jude is encouraging us to be aware. Watch out for flatterers. Watch out for those that are trying to take advantage. Well, 
In verse 17, Jude continues on, but he, he actually plays his trump card now. He, re, he references the apostles that have also sounded the alarm about apostates. In fact, if you look at verse 17, you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here, the, these men have also mentioned both through, uh, whether it's Colossians, uh, Thessalonians, Timothy, Peter also warned of apostates. Even John said that many, or many false prophets had gone out into the world. And so, so Jude continues with, with more traits, additional character traits from these apostates. He talks about mockers, how they told you that there would be mockers. In other words, they're scoffers. When you talk to people about truth, do they scoff at you? <laughs> right. Are you kidding me? You believe that stuff? Proverbs 9, verses 8 through 12. I'm not going to go read it, but in other words, don't correct a scoffer. There are sometimes you walk away because you're not going to change a scoffer. They have gone, they're getting to that point now where they are, I don't want to say they're too far gone, but the Bible makes it very clear if somebody scoffs at you about the truth, why cast your pearl before the swine? Talk to those who will listen to you. They're going to have to be convicted. Now, I'm not saying we don't challenge them, but you get to a point where you realize that it's a, it's a battle you're not going to win. God's got to do that work anyway. But there's sometimes you realize, you know what? I'm going to walk away. Jesus did. There were times he walked away. Didn't challenge him anymore. That's tough. So there's going to be mockers, there are scoffers, there's going to be those who, he says, who would walk according to their own ungodly lusts. Again, very similar to what he had just mentioned, but even the apostles have mentioned this now, walking according to their own ungodly lusts. Also, they are sensual persons. This is the word psuchikos, which actually, uh, it's focused on the, the sensual, the natural, the brute beast in me. I want what I want. The sensual. Sound familiar today? When did we start selling cars with sex? Last time I checked, when I clean my car and fix my car, that's the last thing I'm thinking about. But that's why, but we're, we want it to be sensual. This is what you want. Mahogany. <laughs> Luscious sound. I'm telling you, folks, we're, and we fall for this. You're going, I need a piano like that. <laughs> I, mean, I can sit down and play it and just, just lullaby my wife into my arms. And, and she's going, get a life, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it is dangerous. And again, these are the men that are mockers. They walk according to their own lusts. They're sensual persons. And notice this, look, they, it continues, they cause division. They, they drive a wedge in where there is an opportunity to, to basically cause people to turn their backs on one another. Folks, if you see that in the church, beware. The alarm should be going off. If we have people turning against one another in our church over any reason, something's wrong. We need to wake up. We need to bow the knee before the Lord and say, God, that's wrong. I may disagree with you at times, but it doesn't mean I turn my back on you. why, Why can't we agree to disagree anymore? You know why. 
outside those doors, this new concept of tolerance. Oh, you can believe anything you want as long as it's what I believe. Right? Right? It's okay. We can believe anything we want, just not what you believe. No. The division that can be caused can fracture the church. Ephesians chapter 4. I've, I've referenced this verse. I've shared this with others here at the church. This is so important. Paul was writing to this church. And again, believe, they believe it was Timothy that was the pastor here as well at this time. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1, he says, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you, I urge you, I beg you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called with all lowliness and gentleness and long-suffering. Does that sound like a picture of Christ? Absolutely. Bearing with one another in love. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Jude and Paul both make it very clear. Beware of divisions. Beware of those causing divisions. And then Jude wraps it up here when he says, they are ones who, are, who do not have the Spirit. In other words, they're unbelievers. Jude just kind of plays that last card and he says, they're unbelievers. They don't have the Spirit. How can you be led by the Spirit if you don't have the Spirit? My answer is you can't. So when we see divisions and grumblings and complainings and people that are walking after their own lust and, and the desire to be, to be focused on myself and, and it's all about me, then you have to, that flag should be going up and that alarm should be going off going, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I remember what Jude said. Where are you? Where are you spiritually? Because I've got, I love you, brother, but there's something wrong here. Beware. You see, many come in unnoticed into the church and sound so sincere in their teaching, yet they are ravenous wolves. In fact, I think it Matthew chapter 7? Yeah, watch out for false teachers. They come to you dressed as sheep, but on the inside they are devouring wolves. Their mouths ultimately betray their wickedness, the wickedness of their hearts. Remember in verse 4? Remember what Jude said in verse 4? He said, For certain men have crept in unnoticed who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, who turned the grace of our God into lewdness and denied the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. These are those who deny God's authority, as Dan shared who deny God's word and deny God's son. They are the enemy of the cross. Philippians chapter 3. I think I've got it up there. Yeah. For many walk of whom I've told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies. Enemies of the cross. The cross of Christ. Whose end is destruction. Whose God is their belly. Whose glory is their shame. Who set their mind on earthly things. Sensual. Natural. It's all about me. They are enemies of the cross of Christ. Folks, don't be lured into thinking that, that they're anything less. That's hard because we want to love people. And Jesus loves people, but at the same time, if they were enemies of the cross of Christ, and if they preached any other gospel, he said, oh, Paul said, let them be anathema, cursed. See, it's very clear. 
Jude makes it very clear. Well, what do we do? Jude's been talking about this, these apostates, and I've been preaching pretty hard about apostates, but I want to briefly just run through these last verses. I want to talk about what we need to do to contend earnestly for the faith. Look with me at Jude, verses 20 and 21. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Folks, we need to be armed for battle, and we need to put on the armor of God. And that comes in several different ways. I believe there's four different ways, and I think they are really, truly church disciplines, uh, or a set of disciplines that, for we, us as a church, not church discipline, but disciplines as a church that we should be putting on and strengthening our both physically, mentally, emotionally, relationally, visionally, all of that, not only individually, but corporately as a body as well. We need to be a team. We need to be working together, but it takes individually, you have to be as strong. Remember the, uh, the show, The Weakest Link? Are you the weakest link? That was fun. You know, who was going to drop out because they were the weakest link? You know what? Our church is only as strong as its individual members. Think about that. It's not as a, as a body. Oh, we can cover up. You know, in fact, I saw, a, I saw a, an illustration this week on Facebook of wolves that were a, kind of a distant picture. I think, Marilyn, you and I, were you and I talking about that this week? Some, yeah, I was going to say, I thought, thought we were looking. And, and there, this picture showed, the, they put the older wolves out in front that, because they, they take the pace. Then the, some of the strongest ones are right behind them, and then the rest of the pack. And then at the end of the pack, there's the strong ones as well. And then way back, way back, is the leader at the back of the pack. Interesting. See, in our mindset, we think we got to get out in front. we got to lead. we got to charge. Let's go. Let's go. Rah, rah. Sis, boom, bah. But in reality, the wolves, the, the leaders saw the whole pack. They could see the surrounding area. They knew what the terrain was. They could see what was coming. They guided and were in wisdom working together. That's how the body, that's how our body should function in the same way. You know, there are, the, there are those of us who are getting older and, and it's like, I can't go any faster. Good, you lead. We'll follow. We'll take the, we'll take the lead or we'll take the, the steps behind you. We'll guide you, but you move We're right behind you. And then there's the rest of the body there, but you got the strong in the front, strong in the back and the leaders back there. And that's what we as pastors, we want to be the ones who come up from behind and are protecting and watching over you as shepherds. Because if any wolves, real wolves, do come in, we're going to take the staff and we're going to do some pounding. Lovingly, of course. But spiritually speaking, we're not pulling any punches. And I think that's what Jude was saying. We need to be armed for battle. So as a church, what do we do? Well, first and foremost, mentally, we need to build ourselves up in the most holy faith. Jude ties this right back to verse 3. He goes all the way back to verse 3 and he puts kind of a... a, uh, a cap on the Oreo. Verse 3, he said, uh, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for this faith. Build yourself up in the most holy faith. Folks, let me ask you this. Do you know the word of God? If not, why not? How old are you spiritually? If you, I, I received Christ as my Savior back in 1973. Okay, so that makes me old as a believer. At least it should. Doesn't mean I am. But I believe I've grown in a lot of over the years, spiritually. But where are we? 
Where are we? When you think about this, do I know the word of God mentally? Do I know, is it, do I meditate on the word of God? Is it constantly before me when I'm struggling? When somebody cuts me off at Walmart, do I say, you know, and everything give thanks? That's really hard right then. I don't feel like giving thanks. I want to give them some grief. But I have to realize, you know what? Made in the image of God. That's another person. And I'm glad they can take that spot. That's okay. It's all right. Does it affect the way you live mentally? Building yourselves up on your most holy faith. Does this Bible, does this word of God, as I said earlier, does it change the way you live? Does it affect how you relate to your family? Does it affect how you relate to individuals? Does it affect how you and your spouse are working together or maybe you're struggling together? Does this come into play or is this the last thing we think of? When all else fails, pray. No. Start there. That's the first place we should start. It's like, God, I don't know what to do. And he says, great. I've got you. Now let me guide you. Jude says, not only building yourselves up on your most holy faith, he also says, praying in the Holy Spirit, spiritually. Second one, spiritually. Putting on the armor, spiritually. Now, this isn't some strange prayer ritual, but rather heartfelt prayer. Folks, getting down on your knees and saying, God, I'm a mess. I need, I need your guidance. I need wisdom. I need understanding. Ephesians chapter 6. How many of you know what Ephesians chapter 6, what the, the main focus of that is? Anybody know? Remember, what, what, what is it? Armor of God, yeah. You know what piece we always forget to put on? It's verse 18. Prayer. We put on the helmet of salvation, the shield of faith, breastplate of righteousness, uh, shoes shod with the gospel of the, what is it, shoes shod with the gospel of peace, belt of, it's a belt of truth. Sword of God, sword is the word of the Lord. Whatever it is, you know what it is. You guys know it, the word of God, the sword. But then we forget to pray. It's like running out to the battlefield, and, and I forgot my radio. When you're, when you're looking for somebody, and we're walking up and down an aisle, and I can't find somebody, and I'm like, man, if I had a radio, I could call somebody, I could get some help. You know what? Spiritually, it's the same way. God says, you've got your radio, use it. Call me. I'm right here. Hello? Anybody home? Spiritually, we need to make sure that we are praying in the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, if you want to do a great study on the Holy Spirit, 20 times in the, in the uh, chapter 8 of Romans, the word Holy Spirit or the term Holy Spirit is used. Look at how the Holy Spirit influences us. Donald Whitney in his book, Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life, says prayer is a vital spiritual discipline, second only to the intake of God's word. To be like Jesus, we must pray. We must pray. Third, keeping oneself in the love of God is relationally. We need to stay in his word. We need to love individuals around us. We need to love him more. It is a relational relationship. It is a, it is a personal connecting with others, that type of relationship. Our body can only grow, like I say, as strong as we can when our body is functioning as a body. If you're new here to the church, I want to encourage you to check out our small groups throughout the week. They're going to be starting up. A lot of them, there's some that haven't been going on through the summer. They've taken a little bit of a break. Some of them have, and we've we've varied from from summer to summer. But they're called 110 groups, Colossians 110, based on that verse. And and basically, our focus is to, to share together, study together, to support one another, and to service or missions. That's how the body grows stronger. You're not going to be able to meet with everybody here every week. You're not, I can't. I, I say, was so-and-so there? 
I didn't see him this week. Marilyn's like, yeah, they were there. I said, I talked to him. Like, I, I didn't even see him this week. And sometimes I don't see you for three or four weeks because it's so busy. Unless I'm up here, then I can see you. And I'm like, oh, I saw him sitting right back there. Yep, yep they were here. Didn't talk to him, but I saw him. Those groups are vital for the health of our church. That's why Pastor Josh has pushed for our 110 small groups. And I would encourage you, if you're not a part of one, get in touch with Marilyn. Let myself, let me know. She can, uh, she can help you get situated. We can get you situated. Find a group where you can begin to grow together with others. Because it's all about growing, and, and that's the relational aspect of keeping oneself in the love of God. Well, Jude wraps up there. He says, uh, looking unto God's mercy for eternal life, visionally. You know, you got to have a vision. Looking for Jesus. Titus 2.13 says, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you get excited about Jesus coming back? You know, after listening to my wife gets irritated with me sometimes to, to talk radio. And she's like, ugh. Are you listening to that again? It's like, yes, yeah, I got to know what's happening. Because you know what? I really think it's directly related to Jesus coming back. Because when this all goes south, I'm going north. And it sure seems like we're going south fast. So are you excited about Jesus coming back? Have the right vision. Have the right vision. Well, Jude says, don't just put on the armor, but use it. And I'll wrap up with these verses here. Got ahead of myself. Move the page and I didn't even read the notes yet. That's one way to get done in a hurry. As a church, we are to use our armor of God and we have to use it with the right heart. Look what Jude says in verse 22. And some have compassion, making a distinction, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. We have to have the right heart. We have to have a heart of compassion. That, that those maybe who are doubting, those are the ones that we can, we can rescue. We can help. People that struggle, maybe they're immature in their walk. They don't know the Bible well, and they struggle. That's Those are the ones in Corinth when they were struggling with eating meat and didn't know what it meant. Patience, having the right heart. As a church, we're also to have uh, use our armor with the right head. He says, save with fear. In verse 23, save with fear. In other words, know the word of God, share the word of God, but be careful you don't become ensnared. By those that you're trying to save. That's a danger sometimes. We get too close to those that we're trying to pull out of the fire. We may get affected by it. Jude says be careful. As a church we're to use our armor with the right hands then. Right heart, right head, right hands. Look at verse 23, the latter part of it. Pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. Sometimes it, it actually means with force that you grab somebody, you come down here and you go, I'm going to help you, man. I'm going to save you. Yeah. You know what? When you run into a fire, if a fireman runs into, the, into a building and, and they're struggling, does he go, would you like to go now? You know, it's getting kind of hot. Eh, we probably ought to go. You don't want to go yet? Well, grab what you need and, and we'll get out of here. No. They grab them. And they yank them out of there. Same way with a lifeguard. Sometimes it takes, you know what happens if, if somebody starts fighting you as a lifeguard? You know what they do? <laughs> they knock them out. You know why? They can take a, their, their, their limp. Then they can save them. But when you fight it, sometimes you've got it. You know what? I love you, but <clears throat> there. 
Now let's go. I did it in love, though. Okay, did it in love. Now I'm not advocating going out punching somebody today. All right, if I hear of any of you do it, we're going to be sitting in my office this week with the principal. No, but literally it does mean with force. And sometimes we need to crush the false ideologies that are, that are attacking us, that were all around us. Hating even the garment defiled by the flesh, Jude warns not of being stained or defiled. We need to stay clean. In other words, use our spiritual rubber gloves. Sometimes you've got to put those rubber gloves on and say, listen, I love you, but I've got to save you. That's what equipment's for. That's what the armor of God's for. Be strong. Be ready. Well, finally, Jude comes to, and I'm going to wrap it up here. I keep saying that, don't I? Got you believing it, though, don't you? Yeah, I can't go any further in verse 25, so. Some of you are with me. Okay, good. We need to be confident to contend. You know, we talked about false teachers over the last three weeks. Talked about our faith and the false teachers. We talked about really what the armor we're supposed to put on. We're supposed to contend for our faith. But ultimately, we have to be confident to contend. If you don't think that you can fight, then you've already lost the battle. And I love how Jude wraps up the book. It's really a benediction. And I just want to give you four, very briefly, four statements. Because it's not about us. See, it's not about us going out there and winning the war. It's about Jesus. It's always been about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's what Josh, as as the board put together, the... uh, the five statements. It's all about Jesus, isn't it? It has to be. And look what Jude says. First, he says, Jesus keeps us from falling. He says, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. I love the fact that, that Christ is the one who goes before us and keeps us from falling into sin. And it's the work of the Holy Spirit that does that. It's his work inside me. So if you don't know Christ as your Savior, you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're incapable of not sinning. But with the Holy Spirit, you're able to not sin. Do you know that? You can choose not to sin. But we have to, we have to choose based on the work of the Holy Spirit. He gives us the power. But he will keep us from falling. It's one statement you may hear over and over from me. The Holy Spirit will not obey for you, but he will empower you to obey. You say that again. Holy Spirit's not going to obey for you. When you cry out, God, please help me. And he says, okay, I will. And he's given us the Holy Spirit. He's not going to force you to obey. He expects you to respond in obedience. He'll empower you to obey, but he's not going to make you obey. That wouldn't be love, would it? Think about that. He keeps us from falling. He presents us faultless. Now unto him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory. Justification. I love just this, this idea of just as if I'd never sinned. Jesus looks at me and he says, I, he's mine. And he looks perfect, even though I'm not. But I stand in righteousness, holy, even though I fail. That's sanctification. He's growing me, but he sees me as if I've never sinned. Imagine that. My wife's saying, yeah, imagine that. Because she knows me better than anybody. And I fall. But yet he presents us faultless. He says, here he is. My treasure to you, God. This is my son, Kirk. It's like, wow. He produces also joy. Before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. The joy that was set before him. Remember when God sent his son into the world 
and he did it with joy, knowing what the end was. You know, we can, with joy, we can go into, into glory. We can go into the battle out there in the same way and still have the joy. It's not fun, but we can still have the peace and the joy that comes in knowing Jesus because it is all about Jesus. And finally, he receives all the praise. Verse 25, to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. And all God's people said, amen. Jude, he wants you to contend for the faith. He wants you to know that the battle is out there. It's raging. It's all around us. But he wants you to recognize too, be careful, in the church where the enemy can creep in subtly. He wants you to contend for the faith as well here, being strong both individually and corporately. Because ultimately, folks, it's all about Jesus. It really is. Do you all know the doxology? You know. I think I've got it up there. Yeah. Sing it with me if you would, please. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Father, as we wrap up today and to study these last three weeks of Jude and contending for the faith, Lord, I pray that you would go before us. Lord, help us to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to put the word deeply in our hearts, hide it in our, in our lives so that it makes a difference in everything that we do. Lord, thank you for these last couple of weeks, for this opportunity to share the, the word of God with these folks. And I pray even as Josh comes back, encouraged, refreshed, that we will get behind him and go before him as a pack that trusts him, and as he leads us, Father, we look forward to what you're going to do. Thank you for this little book. May we go out victoriously and triumphantly contending for the faith. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.